Abraham Lincoln. Louisiana Purchase, that's a name. You need to really get off my balls, okay? I'm gonna kick your ass. Also, why was Michelangelo so stinky? Ew. Welcome to the very first edition of the Ultraman Files. I'll be your host today, Patrick. And yeah, it's just going to be me. This is a solo project of sorts. It's just going to be me for for right now talking about Ultraman. This has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to do a show about tokusatsu in general for years now. And since Colton Wenzel have been very generous to take up the main hosted duties on AYCH this month, it's given me the time to finally sit down and do a podcast about one of my favorite things in the world, tokusatsu, and in this specific interest, is talking about Ultraman. Just a quick overview of what I plan to do with the Ultraman files. Like our previous series, it's just a deep dive into this particular topic about Ultraman, one of the longest running tokusatsu series in the world, and just my particular fascination with this show and franchise, and I'm just really excited to finally be able to have this space to talk about it. And what we'll be talking about today is we'll be doing the recap of the first four episodes of the newest Ultraman series, Ultraman Decker. What I do plan to do with this series is not only discuss the ongoing Ultraman series, but everything that happens in the world of Ultraman. Basically, discussing the comets, discussing the news, discussing any other Ultraman series or movie that comes out. Whatever kind of falls into the purview of Ultraman, I would like to discuss on this show. And I hope that you all tune in to listen, because clearly Ultraman is a very popular topic when it comes to AYCH, because not only is one of our most popular episodes the most popular episode in AYCH history, an Ultraman episode, but currently our most popular episode this year is about Ultraman. So clearly, this is a subject that appeals to a lot of people and stateside and across the world. So this this is awesome. It just really sort of shows me that this was the right time to finally sit down and do this show, and I couldn't be more excited. And as the days go by, I definitely would like to expand, talk about other tokusatsu series and have guests on and introduce them to uh, Ultraman in person and then they can experience the series together. And that's definitely been talked about before, so hopefully that is something we get to in time. But for right now, I think it's a good time to really get into the meat of today's episode, which, like I said before, we'll be discussing the first four episodes of the newest series, Ultraman Decker. Decker actually started toward the end of July, but I think this would be a good time to catch up. None of the first four episodes have been released and go over everything that's happened so far in the series. Ultraman Decker is the second part of this sort of reboot trilogy that's coming out from Ultraman basically honoring the 25th anniversaries of the three original series that basically restarted Ultraman in the the modern era so to speak because Ultraman went through a big hiatus for several years and coming back in the in the late 90s with uh Tiga and followed by Dinah and Gaia and this current run, Ultraman, is basically having these sort of reimagining, reboot, sequel series of those original three. And, and Dinah is sort of represented with Decker in this second installment of the trilogy, with last year's series being Ultraman Trigger, the sequel, reboot, reimagining of Tiga. But also with Decker, this is something of a twofold anniversary season because not only is it celebrating the 25th anniversary of 
Dinah is also celebrating the 55th anniversary of Ultra 7, one of the earliest uh, Ultraman series. And there's going to be a lot of references, not only to that uh, classic Showa series, but also a myriad of references to like every other series that's come between because uh, Ultraman is a series that wears its past, its present, its future on its sleeve, just like just constant references. There's some really deep cuts uh, sprinkled throughout the first four episodes. So why don't we get on into episode one, which is titled Day of the Attack. Now, essentially with Decker, this takes place in the same continuity as Trigger. So it's essentially... Seven years after the completion of, of Trigger, and so the world is at a state of peace. The scientific military organization, Gut Select, has sort of wound down its, its activities. It's definitely more of a peacekeeping organization, a scientific organization, and it hasn't been any monster attacks. So all of its military might has sort of been made obsolete for the moment. The main character of the series is Asami Kanata. He's a young man living with his grandfather, uh, selling the local specialty uh, rice crackers out of this family-run business. And it was essentially kind of like a spaceport town because inside inside the town, there's basically the space shuttle, there's the, the Space uh, Federation, there's the TPU, which is essentially the more scientifically minded organization that has since replaced Gut Select in the era of peace brought on by the you know, the successful efforts of Gut Select in the Trigger series. And basically uh Kanata is just like very energetic, a generous young man, possibly a bit pushy with his uh with his charity. He's very very direct and forceful, but always very kind and helpful at, at the heart of it all. And He's out delivering his family's specialty, the rice crackers, where he meets like the, the various characters that you will come to know over the course of the series. We have uh, Ichika, she's one of the cadets of TPU. We have Ryumon, who's sort of like the very stoic and abrasive character who will sort of set up to be sort of like this counterpart to Kanata. We have we have Murahoshi, who's essentially the acting principal of the TPU training school, and we have his second in command, uh, Sawakaizaki. She also works as a as an agent and a pilot for the TPU. The typical first episode, you're setting up all the people, setting up all the players, and sort of getting a feel for the setting. The sort of the the idyllic piece is shattered when there's a sudden broadcast is that these strange orb-like aliens are attacking the Mars space colony, one that opened the Trigger series, and on the eve of them about to start construction on that second Mars colony, these orbs there start attacking and on Red Planet, and then they mysteriously appear on Earth, and like five very specific locales on Earth, like these large, essentially imagine... Uh, their mothership should kind of look like a, like a double peanut shell, essentially. And they're sort of dispersing these little orb aliens out, and they're sort of attacking everything, blowing everything up. And it's in the fracas that a kaiju appears for the first time in seven years on the planet Earth. Uh, a very cool starter kaiju called Spear Source. It's, imagine you kind of like in this very reptilian... Uh, monster, but it's four limbs. Like it has like two front legs that are essentially kind of like giant spiky pillars. It's a really cool design, kind of like what you maybe expect from like a like a late game or like a final boss type monster. But this is really the introductory kaiju fight. It's blowing things up. It's sort of just raising Kane, and then the TPU, which is like pretty strictly a investigative and scientific organization is forced to kind of snap too. It's like, oh, it's been almost a decade since monsters attack. We don't really know how to react. So they try to hurriedly reinstate the the weapons of the previous organization, Guts Let. That's the nurse dressai uh, mothership. Basically it kind of looks like a, a dragon folded up in the shape of a spaceship and the remote pilot mechanical plane guts Falcon and they're sort of sent out to fight Spearsaurus, but he uh, unleashes this EMP, essentially, that 
disables the remotely controlled ships and they crash to the ground. And it sort of leads to this very tense moment where the orbs are like zipping around, blowing things up, abducting people while um, you have Ichika and Ryumon trying to uh, extricate people, get them away from danger. Uh, Kanata is sort of very impulsive and brash and he runs into danger. He picks up literally like an AK or something, like a gun, and starts shooting at the um, the orbs. But when um, the orbs come in, they, they suck him up. He gets absorbed into the alien ball and he's sort of just floating in the ether inside this orb. And basically his determination and will to fight and persist and try to help others is what summons Deckard. What I thought was kind of different with this introduction is that usually the main character gets into danger and, and for whatever reason, the Ultraman of the series sort of imparts his power or overshadows the main character. And it seems like we're getting this one-sided conversation between Kanata and Decker because he's reacting as if he's hearing something that the audience can't. So he's hearing Decker sort of offer up his abilities, his strength to Kanata, in which he accepts. He takes he takes on the power of, of Ultraman Decker. He gets his transformation device. It's like really cool little handle, kind of shaped like the letter D. And then summons a card, has basically the default form for Ultraman Decker this season, inserts it into the device, flips the switch, and then he transforms. And he has this, you know, this pretty fun fight with uh, Spear Swords, you know, dipping and dodging the lasers and fighting back. And then uh, Spear Swords, like, summons more of the ball aliens, shoots them forward. Decker beats them all away. And then in just, like, a, a really cool moment, he chops off the the red horn on top of uh, Spear Sword's head and just, you know, he uh, hits him with the finisher, the Selgen beam, and, you know, blows him up. It's a, a pretty big explosion for the first episode. And so, Kanata and Decker, they're victorious. And, however, even though the Kaiju has been defeated, there's still the greater threat of these Spear aliens. So he takes to the sky, even though his color timer is blinking down, so that he you know, will lose his powers, he'll turn back to humans. So he flies up into the atmosphere of planet Earth, and he starts fighting off more and more of these spirit aliens, just like wave after wave. And then when he kind of gets to the apex, where all these spirits are coming from, he, he sees another one of the motherships, and he goes to attack it, but it produces this big energy pulse, and... Basically, all the surrounding the orb aliens sort of like turn the energy and they create this pulse, blows Decker away, knocks him about down to earth, essentially knocking him out of his ultra state. But the coalescence of all these alien energies surrounds and essentially traps the planet Earth in this barrier that no information can get in or out of. So essentially, the Earth is cut off from any sort of help. From, from the Mars colony, and they can't help, and just vice versa. They, they're just like, they're essentially trapped. And it's kind of interesting that the first episode ends with kind of a huge victory for the alien invasion. Like, you know, they succeeded. They caused a lot of bedlam, and they trapped Earth in this giant energy shell. But undeterred, Kanata decides that in order for him to do what he needs to do and help the most amount of people, he enlists in the TPU, which is currently being reinstated as Gut Select. So it's using the uh, scientific school and training to create new cadets for the Gut Select military program to help combat aliens and kaiju attacks. So episode uh, officially ends with Kanata joining the TPU to the utter surprise of the two cadets he met earlier, Ichika and Ryumon. Overall, first impressions of the initial episode, I did enjoy it. It's definitely a point I will say about the first few episodes. It's very straightforward. You definitely feel that Decker is a big reaction to the criticisms that Trigger has. As will sort of unfold as the first few episodes go on. All right, and moving right along in episode two, 
Uh, we have another time skip. This is one year after the end of the first episode, basically showing Kanata's training in the TPU program. Basically, the physical endurance, uh, the, the mental endurance, and just sort of him trying his best to live up to his desires and goals to, to, to help people. And in this year, Earth is still trapped within the barrier that was created by the aliens, now known officially as the Spears, and, you know, pretty directly. And basically, the Guts Select program is being reactivated to combat alien and kaiju forces. And while he's in this training, Kanata is very concerned with his family because he's kind of left his grandfather alone at the family business and his parents are living up on the Mars colony and since there's been no contact in or out of the planet Earth they have no idea of what the welfare of the people living on the Mars colony or any of the people who have traveled to space or in or in the midst of travel in space when the spears attack so it's just this forlorn hope that everything's okay on the other side of the barrier during the, the crescendo of the training program, what is essentially the the, the trio of this series, uh, Kanada, Ichika, and Ryumon, they are assigned to one last rigorous marching assignment. Basically, they're just in full gear, looking like Starship Trooper soldiers, and they go on to a 16-kilometer hike, essentially, basically just a just big final exam of all their physical endurance and sort of like their scientific training. Rimon is essentially the team leader and he's sort of like plowing this uh, path ahead and sort of leaving Ichika and Kanata behind and Kanata being essentially the dead last cadet sort of like poor scores and everything. He's trying to get Rimon to slow up, but he's like, you know, sorry, man, if you can't keep up, I'm going to leave you behind. I ain't got time for other people's nonsense. So, uh, he's trying to, like, keep up, but there's this uh, strange earthquake that causes Kanata to trip, and he falls down the hill and essentially kind of, like, sprains his ankle. It's during this sort of kerfuffle, like, Mimo's like, well, call the, the ambulance, call the medic corps, get Kanata sent back to base, uh, we gotta go on ahead, and that sort of, like, triggers this big fight between Kanata and Ryumon, because Kanata's like, hey, I'm here to do my best, and join the gut select team and like be a part of this organization that helps people but because of his poor performance like Riemann's like you can't be serious like you're not you're not as dedicated as the rest of us you're not gonna make it so quit wasting your time and essentially the bickering comes to a head Ichika tries to break it up and in the process sort of gives her reasoning for joining the gut select is that she has a dream to go to space and she's has this she's very empathetic to all the people who got trapped on the in the process of going to space when the aliens attacked and basically like the journey to the, the frontier of space is like just, just this big thrilling dream of humanity and she kinda wants to be able to basically do the the typical Toku goal of like protecting people and making sure that they were safe to live out their dreams. Right after all this, there's another big earthquake, and essentially the kaiju of this episode, Death Drago, this sort of uh, bipedal serpent-like kaiju with basically like antlers, like elk antlers, moose antlers is on its head, and this kaiju being from the previous season, Ultraman Trigger, he shows up, and he's, he's wrecking everything, and because Guts is still a fledgling military force again, they're still trying to dust out the cobwebs of all their old equipment. So the Nurse Dressai has to be manually piloted, and they uh, send off Guts Falcon, uh, which is sort of like this AI-controlled uh, yellow mechanical like mini mech slash jet. Typically, it's AI-controlled, but due to that... EMP attack that had to resort back to manual piloting which the president has taken upon himself to fly and he's just like oh yeah I got it but then in private it's like man flying this thing sucks it's not meant to be flown by a person so he gets in the plane he flies around starts shooting up to Kaiju and his uh, second in command Kaizaki sort of like giving him the, the rundown of what 
the previous gut select team found out in their battles with the death drago kaiju in the first uh season with trigger is that if you blow off the horns you know shoot them off destroy them in some fashion that the kaiju will lose its will to fight and while he he is successful in shooting off one of the horns uh, that actually doesn't deter the kaiju at all so he just keeps attacking he's just as enraged while the kaiju is attacking and falcon is trying to hold it off the the trio they sort of like snap to attention they run back to town and sort of like try to help uh the civilians escape get to safety and it's during this sort of fracas that the, the death drago sees the trio trying to help this old man he attacks him with his energy ray the principal guides the falcon to shield him from the attack and he this this is engages the falcon and during that sort of like clatter and clamor, uh, Kanata runs off and transforms into Decker for the first time in the year after secretly scrolling away part of his training to be able to re-summon the Decker Ultraman because that's a part of why his contemporaries didn't feel he was like giving his all because he was sort of devoting a portion of his time that they would be doing to like physical training or studying to like trying to summon the Ultraman again and he just never could but it sort of shows why he can only summon it in danger which you know that's a very common superhero trope you know you can only get your powers in the most extreme mortal peril. Decker's here and he's fighting again and he's sort of he's getting the run down by the kaiju as usual and in another uh, desperate moment he gets a super he gets a power up and this power-up being his little capsule that holds all of his transformation cards, his power cards, it lights up, and it ejects three new uh, dimension cards. And this being each one featuring one of the three classic capsule monsters from Ultra 7, because this, like I said earlier, is in part an anniversary season for Dinah and an anniversary season for Ultra 7. So it shows those three capsule monsters. Wyndham, Miklas, and Agira is in this time that Kanata chooses to summon. Miklas is sort of this large, kind of kind of goofy looking kaiju. He has a big head, like big lips, big like big googly eyes and horns jumping out of him. He kind of looks like a head with like arms and legs kind of sprouting out of him with a tail. So he summons him up. They sort of both like tag team. Death Drago, he does a tackle. Basically, uh, Miklas does like a leg drop on him, just like jumps up, just drops down right on the kaiju's back, sets him up for Decker's finisher. He hits him with the Speldum Beam, excuse me, the Selgin Beam, um, blows him up, saves the day, and then the principal, Murahoshi, he climbs out of the wreckage of the Falcon, and he sees the trio... They're attending to the civilians and the refugees of the Death Drago attack. And while he was sort of aggravated by their bickering earlier, he realizes that their heart's in the right place. So he decides to get to promote them to the official Gut Selects team, the newly reinstated Gut Selects team. Much to their late reactions, like, oh, wait, did we just get promoted? We're on the team. We're official now. So this is the first steps of the, of the Gut Select to be the. The protective force that uh, that, the, that the world needs to fight off kaiju and it's at the very end of the episode we get a tease for a new character for the team which we'll get into more detail in the third episode which well as, as it's spelled h-a-n-e-2 or as it's pronounced in the show h-a-n-a it's just like really cute, like little little pod of a of a robot. He has a little swivel head, little like little flappy ears, and he's basically the AI pilot for the Guts Falcon and the new um, mechanical transforming jet, the Guts Hawk, which essentially it's just the red version of Falcon, but it has like these two like claws that kind of switch up from underneath it. it's a pretty cool robot slash jet it's basically like the yearbook meme it's like falcon the cooler falcon which leads us into the third episode titled move out gut select so basically this is the big uh show out episode for the new gut select team and the episode opens with a new addition to the team professor 
Yuichiro Asakage, and basically he's the one that's been behind the scenes making all the new tech, making the the Guts Hawk, re, uh, rebuilding the Guts Falcon and the Nurse Dressai uh, mothership to sort of get ready for the newly invigorated uh, Kaiju Scourge. And basically he sort of sets out this test to see which of the trio be the one to pilot Guts Falcon since uh, uh, Hane is the, is the one that's remotely controlling the Guts Hawk. He, they need someone to provide backup with the Falcon. So basically the trio go to this virtual reality simulator to basically test their wherewithal as pilots. And they all fail in spectacular ways. Like, Kanata just, like, crashes right out of the gate. Ichika ends up failing because she uh, uses friendly fire. Basically, she tries to shoot the kaiju, ends up shooting the hawk. And then Rimon just flies directly into the kaiju's beams. So, none of them are doing, doing too hot right now. And then it cuts away to Kaizaki and Murahoshi, the uh, lieutenant and commander respectively talking about basically the update uh the information about the spears because basically there's sort of peanut shell like motherships that unleash these horde of spears onto the earth they sort of dubbed them to be king spears and they are located in five strategic points in the earth new york city america Sorafune, Japan, Sydney, Australia, Cairo, Egypt, and Paris, France. You know, like big marquee Independence Day type cities. And basically, it was from those five points that the spears were dispersed all over the globe. And basically, those are the points where the king spear sort of activated the big barrier that now uh, has consumed the earth and sort of has locked it out from any sort of outside communication. And basically, they're just sort of going over the details of what they know about that. And then, then we cut back to the the main trio trying to decipher the test. It's like, oh, this is really hard. And Kanata has the idea after it being inspired by Ichika. It's like, what if we could just talk to Hane and just figure out what he wants? And like, what's he like? I mean, he's a, he seems like a pretty affable uh, AI. I'm sure we can reach out to him. So he, they tried to like open up with like casual conversations. Oh, this is what I did when I was a kid, or this is what I, uh, this is where I came from. And he just sort of very bluntly replies back. It's like, oh, I already knew everything about you. I read your files. And then they tried to like tease out some information from Ryumon, who's like, the he's he's the stoic, reserved jerk type. And so he's like, he sort of like very shyly admits that the reason why he he wanted to join the TPU and into an extension to get select was that he was uh, rescued during one of the monster attacks uh, as a as a young boy during I guess during the era of Trigger and that sort of inspired him to want to join the team. So the trio, after like kind of establishing a rapport so to speak with Hane uh they continue their virtual training that is until the kaiju attack of the episode which a classic Ultraman kaiju Gomora shows up from underneath the ground and a really cool like little miniature um set scene basically you see it cuts to the set of, of a playground like the ground splits open you see that the little kid like like uh, ground mounted spring rides fall into like the chasm that Gamora creates as he emerges from the earth. It's like, I will say Super Rocky has been really like knocking it out of part with like their miniatures and city set because they're always good. But really with trigger, you saw like how detailed they could get and they're really just continuing that wave. So like I applaud all these little like, Ooh, great close-ups on, like, the, the miniature set. Just, like, just to really see the craftsmanship of, like, what they can do with these, like, small cityscapes. So, is attacking this giant uh, reptilian uh, kaiju. like, great big horns on the side of its head and, like, a little horn in its uh, 
on the tip of his uh, snout. Uh, very famous uh, kaiju villain. And so uh, Ichika and Ryamon, they're deployed on foot to attack Gamora. Uh, Hawks and Falcon are deployed to attack by air. Uh, Kanata is, was chosen to be the pilot for uh, Falcon. So they're you know, this multi-pronged attack with the nurse dress side mothership uh, supplying backup as well. And you're sort and you're sort of given like this cool like lock and load moment, like very uh, Starship Troopers, very that of them like just like putting like locking their their Glocks, their sniper rifles, their assault rifles. You know, just you know they're just strapped to the teeth. They're ready to go. They're ready to the fights in Kaiju. So they hit the streets and start start attacking, and then they actually managed to. Do quite a bit of damage to Gamora just just from the the ships attacking like guts uh, Falcon and Hawk they're like strafing around they're shooting they're firing their lasers their guns and they actually um, attack one of Gamora's weak points its tail and it shoots off its tail goes flying in the air and like, like a very monster hunter fashion saved the tail you can turn it into a weapon later so it's just there in the air it's it's during this moment that Gamora has sort of been pushed back by the efforts of the Guts to let that the spears reappear and they sort of appear out of out of the uh, the bear in the sky they start to swarm around Gamora and he essentially a pile on him kind of like would you say like antibodies attacking like a foreign virus in a body and just sort of like absorb into Gamora's uh hide in his carapace and essentially transform him into a new version of himself uh which is just simply known as spear gamora and he has like more like skeletal like white uh protrusions on his body and he's essentially like this big power up for gamora so gamora comes out swinging fights again and it's it's kind of strange that the kaiju are, are always seen as like a separate entity. A lot of times they're portrayed as like intentionally malicious monsters. Sometimes they're just like they're just like a wild animal, and they kind of have to be stopped. And you kind of get this impression that with Gamora, that when the spears are absorbed into its body, that it it didn't know what was happening. So it's like this like this weird like painful transformation and like the spears are then controlling Gamora and using that for their own ends. And so at this point Kanata realizes that the gut select uh, machines and weapons are not going to be enough to fight Gamora because it's just more durable, more powerful, and it's kind of beyond what their capabilities are right now. So he's so in this moment of privacy that is given to them un unintentionally by Gamora when he loses this like EMP wave that disengages the uh, communication systems and like the greater functionality of their weapons and vehicles that is like hey uh Hane I I have something I, that I want to do I need to keep it secret he asked him can you pilot both Hawk and Falcon while I do my next plan and uh Hane says he can he just doesn't know what um, Kanata has in store, so Kanata's like, what I'm about to do, I'm gonna need you to keep secret. And so, uh, it's in that moment that Hane assumes control uh, of Falcon from Kanata, and Kanata summons his transformation device and becomes Decker and appears to fight Gamora. And so, he goes into the battle with Gamora, and as strong as he is in his base form, which is called Ultraman Decker Flash type, it doesn't have the, the strength necessary to adequately fight. And so it's, it's in this moment that Decker gets his next power-up, which is this red card, essentially, will be sort of like his his strength-boosting uh, uh, form for this series. You know, pretty straightforwardly named Ultraman Decker Strong type. It, Basically, this red version of Ultraman Decker with like like uh, gold and the mods, like almost like brass knuckles, like fixtures on his hand. So he's just like engulfed in flames, 
just invigorated with this newfound strength. He starts walloping on uh, Gamora, punching back the beams. And there's this really cool uh, POV shot throughout the fight, which is essentially Gamora's point of view, like first-person point of view, with Ultraman Decker in his new power form, just like wailing on him, punching him and kicking him. And like a great bit where... Gamora turns around to swing his tail at Decker, but Decker catches it and just starts swinging him around, just like Claudio Castagnoli doing the giant swing, just slings him round and round and around. And then while he's sort of having incapacitated, the Nurse Dressai mothership fires their big weapon, the Nurse Cannon, this just giant laser beam blasts uh, Gamora as it's trying to charge up its attack. Which gives Decker the opportunity to activate his finishing move, like this big flaming uppercut, punches Gamora into the air with this huge, like skyward explosion that gulfs the the sky in flames, blows up Gamora, and you know they save the day, and they all they all meet back up at the mothership, and it's essentially this um, quiet moment between Kanata and Hane, where he's like, hey. I did get to bond with you after all because, like, I'm going to need you to keep my secret about being Ultraman. So, so Hane and Kanata have like this rapport, like, you know, he he's his confidant, he's his secret keeper. And then the rest of the team comes over and you know, they start chit-chatting about the mission and all of that. And it's, it's here that Kanata comes up with a new name for Hane, like a more personable name since they have this new relationship so Hane is now known as uh Hane Jiro and that sort of wraps up the the third episode of Decker and I would say this third episode it was definitely a pickup from the first two you know, like, not that I say I didn't enjoy the first two it's just you really see this progression of I I guess like just strength of this theory because like this one definitely had the most action so far he definitely or seeing more with the characters i will say it does feel a little empty on the nurse dress size ship after uh trigger because like there's a lot of people in that in that cockpit in the first series you have like the main crew you have you have uh marlulu the, the the alien friend you have in the the pilot you have uh you have you just, so we'll say the adjustment period is still getting there because I'm so used to like having just a larger cast in the nursery side, and understandably, after the ending of Trigger, and this is a rebuilding phase for Gut Select. So obviously, you have to repoint those forces, and it'll take a little getting used to. But I still think just the third episode definitely improves on the first two, and. It's a lot of fun action to some, some just some clever camera using the big kaiju battle with like Gamora like in his, his POV as he's being attacked by Decker. So it, this is definitely a fun episode, and that leads us into the final episode we'll talk about on this edition. It's episode four, the destructive monster awakens, and this episode like starts in media res. You see the main trio, Kanata. Ichika and Ryomon like on a mission. Essentially, there's a Bimular attacking another classic uh, Ultra Kaiju. It's attacking the city. The trio they're like in and in, uh, investigating this building, sort of make sure that there's no civilians inside. And then there's just another really cool bit where it's kind of POV as well. You see them kind of like scoping around corners, and it cuts the Kanata's POV. It has like these goggles on. It has like a a heads-up display with, like, the vital readings of his two teammates and sort of, like, just giving him information while, like, Baby Lord's attacking. But then we see, like, a human-sized alien, alien, uh, Shapway, uh, attacking them while they're inside the building. And this being a bit of a cameo, a little, like, like, reference to an episode of Ultraman Orb where a kaiju Baby Lord was controlled by an alien Shapway. So a little cut, deep cut for everybody there. And so they're fighting the Shepway. They're firing lasers back and forth. But then Kanata kind of gets a little ahead of himself and he starts chasing the alien by himself out of the building. And but he chases out in the alley and shoots it and 
the, defeats it. But in that moment, he realizes that he's out in the city again, and that Bamular is like lo- looming above him. It's just like, uh-oh, the monster's about to attack. I gotta transform. So, in that moment of danger, he starts to manifest his his transformation device. But right as he's doing so, Ichika and Ryomon are calling after him and running after him into this to the street. And so he panics and sort of like dispels his transformation device but in that distraction he is attacked by Bimular and like ex- destroyed but then there's like a, a kind of like a hazing out of the HUD and he realized the whole thing was actually just like this virtual reality like training simulation and so it was I thought was a really cool way to open the show and so he ha- and instigate like the drama of the episode is that Kanata is keeping this dual identity, which you know most Ultra series uh, approach in some ways. So his teammates are like, "Why are you always running off? You know, you know why are you being reckless? Just doing this one on one supposed to be a team." And so like he's trying to kind of hide his poor performance while also trying to keep his secret. So his only confidant is his robot buddy Hanajiro, uh, and which I do think it's funny in this episode. This being the most like funny of the four so far is that Anedro has like this burgeoning personality of while he was like very blunt and direct in sort of like a mechanical way because you know he's a he's an AI, but he really starts to develop this personality of like being kind of like kind of shady because he calls uh Kanata like impulsive and simplistic, like calls humanity impulsive and simplistic, and then like. Kanata, especially uh, impulsive and simplistic, is like, oh, you're just reading me right now, aren't you? And after this little embarrassing moment, they sort of put that to the side to discuss a new feature that the Guts Hawk is capable of. Essentially, he's able to combine with the Guts Falcon, creating this hybrid combination mech called the Guts Griffin. You know, pretty cool. You know, Kanata has stars in his eyes. Like, oh boy, a, a combining mech. I loved those as a kid. And, and he's, he's just like trying to get someone to talk about giant robots with him. And Rimon's like, this is, uh, this is, this is silly. I'm not going to engage with this child, this fantasy. And everybody's just like, come on, dude. It's like giant fighting robots and they combine. That's, that's cool as hell. Why are you being so lame? And then uh, it cuts away to a hot spring resort. Essentially, there is this town that's renowned for its hot springs and this, like, old faithful, like, geyser of the hot water. But due to due to time, that, that source of the water has dried up. And so this team is trying to excavate, trying to find a new vein for the hot spring. And in their excavation... They accidentally unearthed this giant blue capsule, and they're just like at a miss. And like the mayor's just like automatically spinning. Well, if we can't have our hot spring, we'll just have this giant blue thing to be our claim to fame. So he starts taking pictures and all this and that. But um, this is brought to the attention of Gut Select, so they deploy the trio. They're starting to investigate because obviously this giant blue crystal capsule that emerges from the earth can't be good and it won't be good so they're like trying to suss everything out they start talking to the mayor they start diving into local legends and the arrival of this capsule coincides with this local legend from 1300 years ago essentially this capsule this crystal fell from the sky it buried itself in the ground and now after all these centuries it sort of reactivated again and shortly after that and the capsule turns on and it releases this red vapor that congeals into the kaiju of the episode. Uh, Monza Gar is just like this this long, slender, red-like kaiju. It has a big crystal in the front of its head and it starts immediately like just shooting fire out and, try- and burning up the city. So Hawks and Falcon are deployed to attack the kaiju, but its hide is just too dance it's too tough to like take any damage from their conventional weapon that they named it they said 
there is some alloy that can only be found in space that's like 60% harder than diamonds or some such. And it's like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll say that's a real thing. And so while the two planes are attacking the kaiju, there's like this alien message that's being played by the capsule and they sort of are able to decipher it, which leads to this great bit that essentially this capsule is a mail order monster from another planet that apparently this planet called uh, Marani like sends samples out to developing worlds. It's like, oh, hey, are you jealous that another civilization is going to space instead of you? Well, now you don't have to worry about that. Just use our mail order monster. At least a Monza guard. They'll just blow the, the civilization up for you. You don't have to worry about feeling inadequate now. So it's just it's just this really funny like bit of like oh this is a serious event, but also like uh, the idea of like a catalog monster being like shipped out for like jealous civilizations to like to to wreck up their enemies' uh, advances. It's just a great idea. Fireball shot up by the monster. It hits the Falcon. It crashes. And Kanata uh, try to use this as his escape to get into battle. So he asks, uh, asks uh, Hanejiro to kind of cover for him. So when Ichika and Ryomon are like calling in, it's like, hey, are you okay? We saw that you crash. Um... Hanejiro, like, synthesizes Kanata's voice and says, like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, you know, don't worry about me, y'all be careful and get on out of here. Basically, he gives uh, Kanata, like, this, like, really thick, like, kind of redneck accent, or, like, the Japanese equivalent of a redneck accent, like a very, like, country bumpkin uh, dialect. And they're just like, uh-huh, okay. And at this point, Kanata has already has escaped and turned into Ultraman. And there's this great bit that he's listening to Hanejiro do this, like, hick impression of himself. And he's just, like, he has, like, a great moment where he just, in his ultra voice, just, like, ugh, just, like, this, this exasperated grunt. And it's, 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 a, it's an awesome bit. It's like, is that what you think I sound like? Did I just sound like a moron to you? And Hanejiro's like, of course, you know, you're just, you, you were at the bottom of, the, of your class for a reason. And he's sort of, like, Puffs and puffs and goes on to fight the monster. He realizes normal strength isn't enough, so he turns into his power form. Even with the strength of his of his strong type, he's still having a hard time getting through the monster. He realizes, oh, the, the glowing gem on its head, that seems like it's a pretty reasonable place to attack. So he goes to give it an attack, but like these metal shields pop up over the the gem on its head and he's like he hurts his hand and so he's trying to figure out how they can get around this and he kind of talked to uh, to Hanejiro and he's like doesn't the guts Griffin have like, this really powerful attack and Hanejiro's like it doesn't really work like that because it's untested so kind of like throwing caution to the wind uh, Hanejiro finagles a way to activate the the Griffin despite the Falcons like incapacitated flight abilities so he tells Kanata to punch the ground really hard to activate sort of the subterranean channels of like volcanic water essentially so it causes this secondary geyser to erupt and pushes Falcon into the air so basically it combines mid-flight with the hawk making the guts uh, griffin and he attacks the so he's getting ready to attack the kaiju and basically he's asking Kanata to sort of like give him time to charge this like big powerful laser so Kanata goes to attack the weak spot again the gem in the center of his head so he attacks the shield comes up and so in a three stooges bit he kind of like takes his hand and slaps both of his eyes so like the monster is like like wincing it's like little like tweety bird sounds and it's like just like a, like a bit straight out of like Mo, Larry, and Curly would do. And then as he's sort of like staggered by the attack, the Griffin fires its like big, powerful super laser and blasts the Kaiju, which uh, destroys the gem in its head. And he actually defeats the Kaiju. Like the the finishing blow goes to, I guess, the science team. You know, the guts 
Griffin um, to Hanejiro. It's cool to have, like, you know, this is the fourth episode in, and, you know, Ultraman's already kind of, like, sharing the victories here. It's an uncommon, but, you know, it's still it's still kind of refreshing to see that the other, the other members of the team are vital to the combat uh, whenever the kaijus come to town. Also, there's a great bit with the mayor again when um, Ichika and Ryomona are sort of like wrapping up things in the ground. Now that sort of uh, Ultraman's has sort of reinvigorated the volcanic water and life ways of this town. It's like it sort of re it's like restarted the hot spring. And there's just this great bit of the mayor sort of showing off all the cool pictures he's taking of Ultraman during the fight and basically doing this bit of like, oh, we can use Ultraman as sort of like a, a selling point. Like, he used he use our famous town's geysers to help save the day. And it, it's brought to mind like this bit of like J. Jonah Jameson. It's like, I want pictures of Ultraman on my desk in the morning, Parker. It was just a great bit. Episode four wraps up with previews for episode five titled Glutton in the Lake, which we see the return of another classic Ultra Kaiju, Ella King, this sort of like white, long-tailed, almost biomechanical kaiju with like spinning horns on its head, like a visor, and it's well known in some of its early series that like it will just attack, you know, in a traditional monster, but also he would just like pull out like a submachine gun and start, start blasting away. It's a great bit. With the implication that the reason why this Ella King is attacking is that the sort of civilian of the week, this young girl may have the child of this Ella King sort of like hidden away somewhere. And that kind of wraps up their first four episodes. Um, like I said, I, I'm enjoying this series so far. I, there's a, there's a been like a, a sort of slow build up to uh, the series right now. The third episode would have a lot of action. The fourth episode to have even more, even more action, and a pretty funny episode altogether. And he really is feeling the creative decisions to reconcile the criticism they got from Trigger. So I definitely feel like they're kind of parsing down on the main cast. The main character definitely kind of stands at contrast a little bit with um, Trigger's main character. Especially like, you know, he's not having like this sort of cloyingly like cheery attitude or having kind of like a a a silly cat's phrase like smile smile which even for a kid show might have been a little much and i'll and i'll say definitely the the gut select team for decker definitely feels a little, little more reined in because the characters from trigger while i feel like they're a little more energetic I can kind of see how they're a little, maybe a little too wacky, a little over the top. When you have like a, a pilot that goes from like very austere and kind of cold to like kind of just like perky battle woman. And you have like this sort of like super macho exercise craze ship pilot for one of the crew members. And so like I can definitely see the kind of like parsing down the overall number of characters and kind of really showing like the professional aspects of the gut select like given like a more overall not serious but i guess like a more brained in version of the scientific team and i definitely feel like the with with the with the drones with falcon and and the hawk they feel more vital to the combat whenever the kaijus attack because i would say one of the criticisms had a trigger is that whenever falcon would show up he would kind of just like shoot a couple bullets at the kaiju and then get swatted away it just kind of be not be very useful and we've already seen in just the first four episodes that the gut select team is not only helpful to the actual combat like vital to the victory because it was the the guts teams with the drones that that they're the ones that beat the kaiju in episode four, and, there, and there's like a, there's a greater emphasis on sort of the reluctant kind of like classic rivalry between Kanata and Ryumon versus uh, Kengo and Akito's relationship in Trigger. So you you can really tell that 
Tsuburaya was sort of like learning her lessons from Trigger. Not to say I didn't like Trigger, but I definitely feel like it wasn't as strong as a whole compared to Zet because Zet was the first series in Ultraman that had this, this simulcast release. Sent Tsuburaya is like this big push to bring Ultraman to the States. And and by and large, the, the general consensus that Ultraman Zet is one of the, the best recent series and i had a lot of fun with i really loved the characters and my favorite episode of trigger is when the team from zet comes back to hang out with the uh the trigger team like those are my that two episodes are my favorite episodes of the whole series of trigger it's kind of sad to say but it just shows the strength of the zet cast and that that series and so so i think decker is off to a, a fun start i'm ex- i'm definitely interested to see where it goes and I hope you are too, and, I, and thank you so much for listening to the first installment of the Ultraman Files. I know it's probably a little strange to hear me talk at length by myself, but I figured this is a great opportunity for me to really spread my wings and, and dive into something that I'm personally very passionate about. And I know that the rest of the lads, uh, they, re- they enjoy it, and I think this is going to be like a launching point for more tokusatsu discussion on the a- on AYCH. I definitely think at a, at a later date we can have the rest of the gang on to talk about this cuz I know just from the little bits and pieces that they've seen of Ultraman, of Kamen Rider, of Super Sentai, they have been very intrigued. They've really liked what I brought to the table and just like I want to share tokusatsu with my friends and with the as many people as I can. I mean, I don't know that there's too many Ultraman uh, podcasts out there. So, like, I'm happy to one to spread the news about Ultraman. It's been one of my favorite shows. And for a fairly recent, well, I wouldn't say fairly recent in terms of a, a general interest, I've been a fan of Tokusatsu since I was a sophomore in high school. But finally being able to have access to Ultraman like this is really unprecedented because, like, we're living and such so just great time to get into Ultraman because Superaria has been just so direct with localization of the, of the series, like bringing just like one series after another from the classic Showa era and having the simulcast of these uh, brand new series from the Reiwa era, the modern series, and just like and like all this just rollout of series and movies and everything in between so it's a super exciting time to be an Ultraman and we'll have even more to talk about because there is a a Ultraman comic coming out later this month uh, featuring Ultra 7 it is the third series from Marvel's collaboration with Super Aya with Ultraman and there's just there's so much down the pike for Ultraman that I'm just really excited to talk about and I hope you all join me with each installment of the Ultraman Files so we can talk and listen and discuss about Ultraman, and I think we're going to have a great time. So thank you all so very much for joining me today. It's been a great time, and I and I hope you, you know, continue with this series. You can follow us wherever podcasts are found. That's SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. All those platforms helps us out, keeps it visible, keeps it in front of you people, and I always appreciate you when you do it. If you're listening to the episode of the week that comes out, that means on back on Monday, August 1st, Colton Wenzel released the first episode of their tenure of hosting the main show of AYCH. They're taking over that show for the month while I start the Ultraman show. JoJo takes some time off, and they cover in their first edition of hosting by themselves in this larger protracted capacity. The double feature of Minions, Rise of Gru, and Jordan Peele's Nope. It's a really fun episode. Go check that out. On Thursday, August 4th, Casey Greatness had a brand new episode. They they reviewed 2010's The Sorcerer's Apprentice, the Disney family action movie. Shimmy Cannon and our special guest, Jeremy Rich, who's been on the show uh, more recently. He's filling in for JoJo and myself over there. And all the KZ Greatness regulars, they'll be helping out this month while we're working on the project and just taking some time off to, to recharge and rest. And lastly, you can follow me, Patrick, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at John Lost His Name. Thank you all so much. We'll be talking to you very soon. Take care. 
and trying a new sign off in a very Ultraman fashion, flying up in the clouds, departing with a hearty shoo-watch.